Lore of the Horn Folk. The Horn Folk used to be a very divided people. There were 15 tribes when my family left. Every single one of them in a brittle alliance with some and distrusting of all the others. And every single tribe held their own folk up as custodians of the true northern way of life. The main reason why these lands have been left untroubled for so many generations is the constant infighting of the Hornfolk. But in recent years, a new leader has risen. They call him their king. I don't know how, but he has managed to unite the tribes. All of them. I've heard stories. The stock of monsters. Arvid. The Hornfolk is a collective name for the barbarian tribes that live in and to the north of the Horn Mountains. Their story begins in the mists of time, long before Wolfen of Ivenenborg. The Hornfolk have always believed themselves to be of a different species than other men, for whom they have many denigrating terms, the most common and neutral of which is underlings. Living on the roof of the world, the Hornfolk truly do believe that they are superior to everyone else, and this grants them the right to treat others as they see fit. The Age of the Ice Queen There are hints of higher levels of civilization to the north of the Horn Mountains, where ruined towers and statues are still left, half submerged in ice and snow, as silent witnesses of a bygone age, when the ancestors of the Horn Folk known then simply as the Northerners, had art and culture to rival those of Urba Classica. For centuries, the Ice Queen was the undying ruler of the Horn Mountains and the surrounding lands, both to the north and to the south. No one knows the precise origins of the Ice Queen, or how she came to be so long-lived, but her immense magical prowess is still legendary among the Horn Folk. All inhabitants of the Northern Realm were her unquestionable subjects whose very lives belonged to her. And most were happy, because the Ice Queen protected the realm and gave it much prosperity. But every once in a while, she would make some unreasonable demand of a subject or kill a random person for no discernible reason. The Ice Queen had a very strict and harsh rule in a society organized according to a complicated case system, where nothing could be done without explicit permission from her or her representatives. Only two castes were exempt from this rule, and enjoyed far greater freedom. The spirit speakers and the people of the raging bear. The spirit speakers were a caste of oracles, fortune tellers and mediums, who provided counsel and direction. The spirits they consulted with might have been the Northerners' ancestors or some sort of demonic entities, but they helped the Northern Realm to grow into a powerful but immensely cruel society. 
Spirit speakers were beyond the law and could do anything they wanted, so long as their counsels to the Ice Queen led to her prosperity. The people of the Raging Bear were a warrior caste that simply couldn't be tamed. Their lust for battle and bloodshed was such that they would often venture south to raid and pillage in spite of the Ice Queen's wishes. Their barbarism was tolerated, though, so long as they stood ready to defend the Ice Queen whenever she demanded it. Eventually, tensions began to grow between the Spirit Speakers and the Ice Queen, who became ever more capricious and unpredictable, showing even signs of madness. Ultimately, the Spirit Speakers began to manipulate the people of the Raging Bear to turn against the Ice Queen, which ultimately led into a massive rebellion, whereby the Ice Queen was finally captured, and the Spirit Speakers invoked their spirit allies to strip the Queen of her immortality. She was subsequently beheaded and died, but not before cursing all her land to fall into great darkness. The Great Tribal War After the Ice Queen's death, chaos erupted in a bitter war between the Spirit Speakers and the people of the Raging Bear, a war that lasted for three generations. Over the course of this long conflict, the Northerner peoples became divided into ten different tribes, and after the war was over, the tribes split up even more until eventually there were sixteen. This period became known as the Great Tribal War, which ended with an uneasy peace between the ten tribes, all of whom kept to their own regions and finally left each other alone. Over the course of this long and exhausting war, especially in the harsh climate of the North, art and culture were gradually forgotten as everything the peoples now did was simply about war and survival. The Tribes of the Horn Folk While the Northerners still considered themselves superior to other people, the men who lived to the south of the mountains began to refer to them as those Horn Folk, thinking them barbarous and cruel. During the reign of the Ice Queen, the Northerners had seen her as their prime goddess, superior even to the spirits of the spirit speakers. In the new tribal era, the Hornfolk's spirituality began to change dramatically as well. Throughout the Great Tribal War, the spirit speakers had turned to a number of named spirits who had given them great power, whereas the people of the Raging Bear had turned to a single spirit known to them as Roaknid, the Raging Bear itself. When the war ended in an uneasy truce between all the tribes, their shared belief in these spirits was all that really united the Horn Folk. This eventually led to the formation of a pantheon and a new caste of shamans, which was not connected to any particular tribe, but was entirely independent and respected by all. Older shamans could enter any village of any tribe and test the youths to see who among them might be chosen by the spirit gods to become one of them. 
The child would then be taken away from its parents and raised among the nomadic caste of shamans. Most barons considered it an honor. While the pantheon of the Hornfolk is large and varied, four main gods stand out and are worshipped by all the tribes. Roaknid, the raging bear, the warrior god. Skathnid, the dragon on the mountain, revered as a bringer of wisdom who speaks in riddles. Arndid, the mourning mother, a death goddess who receives all the souls of the departed in her realm, but keeps only the brave, discarding the worthless who are then sent back as ghosts to haunt the living. Those who have truly offended the gods in their life are sent to a hellish underworld. Frunid, the joyful mother, who brings life and fertility in the family, in crops, and everywhere else. Some of the lesser-known gods, worshipped only by certain tribes or even members of specific professions, include Klunknik, the god of smiths and craftsmen, whom some believe resides somewhere underneath the mountains. Horm, the first spirit speaker, an ancestor god, a man who ascended into godhood after discovering how to speak to the spirits. Most don't consider him a god, but only a venerable man. Only a small minority see him as actually divine. But there is no real organized form of worship surrounding him. Flosnir, the river god, only worshipped by the tribes who live along the rivers Delver, Alt, and Ivenen. He is a fickle god, hard to please and easy to anger. Svitsk, the lady of birds, daughter of Frunid, who commands all the birds. Some believe she is in conflict with her mother and will grant special graces to those who turn to her instead of Frunid. Her shamans use birds as spies and messengers. Her cult is very much an underground movement as the followers of Frunid frown on the worship of Svitsk, whether the rumors of their rivalry are true or not. Out of the great tribal war eventually came the 16 tribes of the Hornfolk, living in the lands surrounding the mountains in a brittle peace. One of the tribes in the eastern regions was called the Erndir, led by a chieftain named Skadar, a particularly brutal warlord who sought to conquer and enslave his neighbors. In response to this threat, chieftain Lietsk of the Ulkmir sought the help from the dragon Skathnid, but instead of Skathnid, he found the imposter Giftant the dragon of lies, who often pretends to be his wise brother Skathnid. Giftant told Lietzk his sword was to be coated in the black fire of the dragon's breath, and that would make Lietzk invincible. If Lietzk found the new sword to his liking, the dragon would fly to his tribe the next day, and then Giftant would do the same to all the weapons of his people. Lietzk agreed, and Giftant coated his sword in black fire. On the road home, 
Lietzsch was attacked by a group of seven bandits. He slew them all in a matter of moments, his sword slicing through their bodies like they were made of butter. Lietzsch enthusiastically returned home with a hopeful message to his people. The next day, Giftant came to the village and asked if Lietzsch found the sword to his liking. Lietzsch told the dragon to coat every single weapon in the village with the black fire of his breath, and Giftant happily did so. Then the Ulkmir tribe begged the dragon to fight with them, but the ancient worm refused to do so and flew off. Emboldened by their new weapons, the Ulkmir finally took the fight straight to the Erndir. They traveled to their war camp and began to slaughter them with their magically enhanced weapons. Skadar begged Lietzsch for mercy, but Lietzsch hacked him into pieces. In two days, the Erndir tribe, which had so threatened the eastern regions of the northern realm, was utterly destroyed. However, in their victory, the Ulkmir had become drunk on power and carnage, and they had become more vile and murderous than the Erendir had been. Lietzsch began to conquer the neighboring tribes, and soon he had control of the east. The tribes in the west had seen the rise of the Ulkmir and realized they needed to be stopped. One charismatic leader, named Odar of the Roakir, stood up and united the seven tribes of the west. By that time, Lietzsch had noticed that the power of the dragon breath in the weapons of his warriors had begun to wane, and he was beginning to wonder what had put him on the path of conquest in the first place, which he had never desired before. He went to look for Giftant again, but did not find him. Then Lietzsch decided it was too late to turn back and he would have to face off with all the tribes of the west. The two armies were poised to meet on the central plains of the northern realms, just north of the origin of the river Ivanen. There, the armies clashed, and there was a terrible battle, in which Lietzsch was slain and his followers were decimated. Odar now had the chance to rule over all the Hornfolk, but he refused to become a tyrant and allowed the men of the East to return to their own tribes and their own ways of life. The Untronian Alliance Shortly after, a dark time began for the Hornfolk, when the great wolves began to leave the northern realms. Long had the Hornfolk hunted these magnificent creatures, and their departure led to famine. The tribes began to ally more often and organize raids into the lands to the south, reaching as far as the northern borders of the Untronian Empire. Led by the charismatic Odar, the Horn folk almost sacked Olderborg. But the Untronians managed to hold them off, and the Horn folk had to retreat. Unexpectedly, Odar was then approached by Troth, son of Emperor Untron with a plan to seize their war and instead unite all the Hornfolk with the Untronians and sack the fabled city of wizards in the south known as Evenenborg. <laughs>
Odar agreed, believing that he could discover the secret of Evenenborg's magic and use it to aid the Hornfolk. The campaign against Evenenborg was a great success, and the city fell under the combined might of Trath and Odar. But their alliance came to a bitter end when they discovered an item among the spoils which they both craved. A mysterious painting depicting the fallen angel Lucus. Believing this painting to be the source of Evenenborg's magic, Odar took it with him. But soon after, Troth assassinated him. Troth himself was slain when more troops arrived from the southern and eastern regions of Evenendale, along with help from Lioncrest and Flatland. Troth's betrayal led to infighting between the Hornfolk and the Entronians, which caused a somber end to what could have been a highly successful campaign. The alliance of Evenendale, Lioncrest and Flatland finally managed to drive back the invaders. Without Odar, the Hornfolk tribes quickly turned against each other as well, and many tried to use the opportunity to pillage the weakened cities of the Untronian Empire. Some were successful, but in the end, the Untronians were more united and managed to drive the Hornfolk back to the mountains. Over the course of this whole campaign, the Hornfolk had suffered so many casualties that the northern realms had become severely depopulated. In the wake of all this misery followed a biting winter and a mysterious plague, leaving the Hornfolk so weakened that they stayed hidden behind their mountains for centuries. The War of Beasts It was in this dark time, known to the Hornfolk as the Winter Years, that the undead began to rise. A rogue shaman, known as Durher, had learned the art of necromancy and began to amass his own army of the dead. The tribe of the Roakir was at this time still the most powerful, and they were the only ones with the might to fight back against the undead and they managed to hold back Dorher's onslaught for a time. During this time, there was a young woman living among the eastern tribe of the Oldnir. Her name was Rika, and she was known as an adventurer among her people. Rika organized an expedition and made her way into the mountains to find the ancient palace of the Ice Queen. The journey was brutal, but Rika did find the palace and the crown of the Ice Queen, which turned out to have powerful magical properties. The crown also had a strange influence on Rika, who began to inherit the properties of the Ice Queen. When she returned to her tribe, the true power of the crown became apparent. She was able to command anyone, and they would obey her. In addition, Rika discovered other magical abilities she had never had before, Aware of the Ice Queen's dark history, Rika vowed to use her power for the good of the Hornfolk. She decided it was time to lead the Oldnir tribe to war against the undead. However, rather than making another attempt to unite all the tribes under one rule, Rika decided to gather the forces of nature against the unnatural threat of the undead. 
she raised an army of wolves, bears, and mountain trolls, and marched against the forces of Durher. Thus began the famous War of Beasts. Rika's successful campaign against the undead compelled Durher to change his tactics somewhat, and he decided to press mortal men from various tribes into his service to fight alongside his undead hordes. In turn, Rika found herself forced to gather the help of men from other tribes as well, and soon the War of Beasts finally did turn into another civil war among the Hornfolk themselves. Unfortunately, while the crown of the Ice Queen had granted Rika many of her powers, the Queen's fabled immortality was not one of them, and the great heroine fell in battle. Her death kindled the independent spirit of the Hornfolk, and ultimately even the traitors finally turned against Dunher once more. With an immense concerted effort, all the gathered tribes managed to defeat the undead hordes once and for all, and Dernher was slain and all of his depraved works were destroyed. There was now more unity among the Hornfolk than there had been in a long time, but they were also more weakened than they had ever been. The tribes returned to their own dealings, trading amongst each other but remaining consciously separated, so as to avoid another debilitating conflict. Marriages would often occur between members of different tribes, in which case the bride was always subsumed into the groom's tribe. The Draklings and the Southern Invasion And so the Hornfolk led a relatively stable existence for many centuries, in a constant fight for survival. Sometimes they would raid other nations, such as Oskurta or Flatland, but they would never go so far as an actual invasion anymore. The Hornfolk would pick out a specific town, monastery or other settlement and pillage it clean, then return and divide the spoils. Over time, the other nations learned to defend themselves against these unexpected attacks and it would become harder for the Hornfolk to organize a successful attack. With this in mind, one brave member of the Roakir decided to explore new territory. His name was Tjorsten Wayfarer, and he had a plan to sail to the west and discover new lands. And so he gathered a crew and crossed the Western Sea, finally setting foot on the island of Felskar, which was inhabited by a race of small, intelligent dragons known as Draklings. The Draklings defended their territory fiercely, and Tjorsten lost half his crew before he fled and returned to the Northern Realm. Meanwhile, the people of Flatland, just southeast of the Northern Realm, had been planning to rid themselves of the pest of these Hornfolk once and for all, and they unexpectedly invaded the North via the western coast. The tribes fought back valiantly on the Western Front, only to be surprised in the East by troops from Oskurta, who had allied with the Flatlanders to end the Hornfolk menace. It was in this dark hour, when the tribes of the north were about to fall to the very people who had always been their victims, that help unexpectedly came to them from the west. The Draklings came to aid them and push back the southern invaders. At last, the Flatlanders and the Oskurtans retreated, unable to repel the Draklings, who were able to fly and breathe fire onto their enemies. A truce was signed between all the four parties, 
and the Horn folk retreated back behind the Horn Mountains, granting the Draklings the eastern coast beyond the mountain range as reward for their aid in the war against Flatland. The Draklings, being inherently aggressive creatures, quickly sought to expand their territory and ventured south into Flatland, even reaching as far as the capital city of Middendam. But with the aid of the men of Lioncrest, Flatland managed to beat back the Draklings and forced them back to the northwestern coastline. Now a Flatlander nobleman named Lord Vondel decided to approach the Hornfolk. He sought an audience with Dreg, the chieftain of the Roakir, the fiercest tribe of all the Hornfolk, and asked him for help. If the Hornfolk would help drive back the Draklings to their island of Felskar, the northwestern coast would be granted to the Hornfolk forever and the Flatlanders would trade with them in friendship for centuries to come. Weary of hunger and warfare, Dreg agreed, and the Hornfolk broke their covenant with the Draklings and helped the Flatlanders clean out the northwestern coast. The Draklings were forced to retreat back to Felskar, where they would remain forever embittered against all men. The Age of Peace the Horn Folk now lived in relative peace for many centuries after, trading with the Flatlanders, the Ontronians, and eventually even forging ties with the Oscurtas. This age of peace was not to last, however, and eventually some of the Horn Folk would return back to their savage ways. <laughs>